citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human God to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger lie, the public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. I think you've got someone in the background trying to compete with uh, our intro. Yeah, I don't know who it would be here. It's, um, no, it's fine, it's fine. Everyone, if you could mute your phone, star six. Uh, I think it was James, in the back. I, think, I think it's okay. <laughs> I think it was all... James. Oh, okay. It was James talking. Because when I muted, muted you, it went away. <laughs> That's okay. Go ahead. Uh-oh. I'm the only guy that can start because I'm the guy that controlled it. Sorry about that, James. Anyway, we're ready to go, guys. Uh, James Jaeger has been on with us several times before, and uh, the latest documentary that he's working on uh, is a culmination of uh, so many threads uh, that he's researched and documented in the past, leading through and extending beyond the work of Edmund Vieira. Uh, Fiat Empire, we all know, uh, was, was a groundbreaking work of James uh, Yeager, uh, focusing on the days of Ron Paul, and uh, he just completed Molin Labe uh, prior to this new documentary called Midnight Ride that's in the funding stage right now. And uh, as James talks about it tonight, we're going to segue into a discussion in general about Hollywood fundraising, some of the financials uh, behind uh, making documentaries, uh, the mechanics and financials behind Hollywood. We are really in a new era as far as the distribution of information and uh, knowledge in our world and these various platforms 
led by a pioneering documentarian such as James. Uh, we have to support all of these efforts uh, behind the scenes. So, James, thanks for coming on. I know you've uh, really uh, energized and, and uh, really thrilled with the work of Edwin Vieira when he came out with that groundbreaking work, Constitutional Homeland Security, a few years ago. And this midnight ride is sort of the calling. It's almost like uh, Paul Revere. This could happen at any time. Rogue politicians could call for the declaration of martial law. And uh, you're scrambling right now to get voices down on tape uh, in the can, so to speak, to get these words out that relate to the necessity to organize at every state uh, level, at local level, down through the states, uh, the organized militias of our countries p- to prevent this or at least have some organizational lawful order behind uh, uh, th- this whole process. So uh, what triggered Midnight Ride beyond Molen Lobby, James, and how, how, how is this connected to Molen Lobby? It seems to be like the, edge, the pointed edge of the spear here. You're kind of uh, talking about <clears throat> well, um, Molon Lobby was inspired by uh, Edwin Vieira's uh, first book, um, which introduced the concept of the militia. Everybody knows the Second Amendment, but very few people have any idea when it says it starts out a well-regulated militia being necessary to security the state. They just kind of go to sleep for the first uh, part of that whole sentence. And yet it's in the Constitution. So his book, the first book, um, Sword and Sovereignty, uh, introduced the militia and and went through detail what it's all about. Now, the new film, Midnight Ride, is basically going to tell us what's going to happen if the whole thing crashes, the Federal Reserve crashes things, what the powers that will be will probably do. And it casts the question, is martial law legal uh, under the Constitution? And, of course, well, answer that question. Well, there's actually a number of different types of martial law, which we'll go into in detail in the film. Okay. Some of these types of martial law are legal, and they're perfectly justified by the military and armed services use them, and other types of martial law are not legal. And one of the first organizations, probably the first organization, to really jump on this was Oath Keepers. And Oath Keepers basically declares that there are ten orders that they will that they do not expect any Oath Keeper to follow, and they delineate these at their site. By the way, their site is gorgeous. You got to go over there, everybody. It's at OathKeepers.org, and this site is magnificent. It's just totally different than the old site. OathKeepers.org with an S. OathKeepers.org. Yeah, it's just incredible. It's every bit as nice as the, um, the the gun owners of America site and the NRA site. And this is oh, that's a whole new look. Elias. That's a whole new look. Huh? Wow, I'm there that's right a now. Whole new get look. On it. Yeah, yeah, isn't that magnificent? Oh yeah, this looks great. Very crisp and clean. And that uh, credit for that goes out to Elias Alias, who is the publisher, and Stuart Rhodes, who is the founder and ED. So, um, yeah, we're working with Oath Keepers on the new movie, and the new movie is a sister film to Molon Labe. And Molon Labe has already been essentially pushed out there, correct, from when you were last on? That was the tail end of, of when you were last on. 
Yeah, we we released it in uh, fall of last year. Last year, correct. So we're actually we're actually well into principal photography on Midnight Ride. We've already raised about thirty five thousand and interviewed so far ten people. Wow. Okay. Um, we do have Ron Paul in this film, and his interview is coming up shortly. But we've interviewed Dan Happel, who's the former Montana commissioner, Edwin Vieira, who's the author, Walter Reddy, constitutional attorney. We interviewed Walter Reddy, who's one of the co-founders of the Tea Party. Yep. Uh, we interviewed Elias Alias, who, as I mentioned earlier, is on the is a board on the board of Oath Keepers and the editor. We also uh, uh, um, interviewed Larry Pratt, who's the executive director of Gun Owners of America, oh, and good. his son Eric Pratt, uh, who did a wonderful job debuting in the film. We interviewed Ed Griffin. Jed Griffin, Pastor Chuck Baldwin, Rosie Haas, and Stuart uh, Rhodes are interviewed. James, did you have to go to Montana to get Chuck Baldwin, or did he come to you? How did that work? Because it, it, Chuck is kind of a hard guy to get a hold of. Well, yeah, Chuck is extremely busy. I mean, you look at his website, and you look yeah. at all he does, and yeah. I can absolutely understand why he is a very, very busy guy. And I'm thrilled that he's been in three films of ours. He was in Spoiler. He was in Molan Lobby, and he was in this film. And, now, yeah, we put the interviews together, and uh, they were filmed by my cameraman, uh, David Rasputin, who's uh, one of the foremost documentary cameramen in the United States, if not the world. He does all kinds of stuff for National Geographic, oh, wow. uh, History Channel, Discovery. He's just There's no better cameraman. And the footage of these people that we interviewed, all the people we interviewed in Montana, is absolutely gorgeous. So the whole production is actually this is the first high def production we've oh, done. Oh, cool! Wow, you know I, I, um, it, the movie trailer looks very crisp. Just the quality. Yeah, I have of never the, not never paid any attention to the technical aspects of these films because there's so many films that are made today that just diddly twink with all these mindless special effects, but they say nothing. Um, my my whole attitude about the film is I. Uh, everything we say, I want that to be the total film. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, we happen to have a, a, a dissolve or a fade or, you know, a high-resolution image in it. Great, yeah. you know. <laughs> so um, this is the first one that's in high def. We could have done the others in high def, but to make, a, to make a long story short, it's just a pain in the neck. The more technology you have going, the more pain in the neck you have to dealing with editing equipment and systems and cameras and aspect ratios and all kinds of crap, and it takes you away from the storytelling. Well, high-def cameras are, I mean, you're able to get that today at a cheaper rate than you were, say, three, four years ago. So, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, not, I, it's I, not even that. It's yeah. that I can't even find a cameraman anymore that will shoot that shoots in standard def because oh, none of their okay. cameras shoot standard I def see, anymore. I see. It's got to be high-def. Got it. Well, let's... Well, okay, now now take us through the 10, not to go through the, all the 10 from the Old Keepers, but how close do you think we are uh, of, of this happening? I mean, we're seeing fractures overseas in Russia and the Middle East, and the, the, the euro dollar is, uh, is under uh, a lot of pressure right now. Greece is threatening the, to remove itself from the euro uh, and et cetera. I, uh, w w what's your, since you were last on, James, w give us the tenor and tone of your, your just gut feeling where we are at right now. Well, as far as um, 
I mean, we, we've been through the, the whole Ferguson down in St. Louis. There seems to be just a lot of saber-rattling going on in our country and around the world with ISIS and, and just, you know, the, the I, I don't know. I've kind of tuned a lot of this stuff out, but uh, <clears throat> the economy kind of keeps ticking here. It's not perfect. It's not we all know the 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 the, the problem of a debt based economy, but uh, you know we're we're still overall hanging by a thread. Uh, uh, the possibility for these things to happen to revert into martial law is just around the corner. Possibly, we never know. Well, you have to remember we did for, we did uh, when the Federal Reserve started their QEs, their quantitative easing. Their balance sheet was one trillion. Yep. The balance sheet is now four trillion means they have pumped three trillion into the economy. Jesus God. Just print air. Just just out of thin air, right? They monetize the debt, they get the treasury to print up the Federal Reserve notes and then they use those to buy the bonds. Mm-hmm. So okay, so we've got four trillion values on the on the balance sheet. And basically Anthony Weil called it uh, the editor, the publisher of the Daily Bell, he called it three years ago. He said all this money is going to go into the, into the uh, be pumped out of the stock market in IPOs. So I did some research the other day, and I looked up IPOs, and you should see the graphs. They're like going up exponentially for the last two and a half years. Wait a minute. So you're saying you're pumping up the stock market in the form of IPOs? What, what are you saying? All this QE money is getting bled out into IPOs. Got it. And getting plastered all over the place. So um, basically, I don't know. We've got we've got all this money. It's basically like heroin, and everybody's worried about what's going to happen if too much of it gets out too fast. Mm-hmm. It'll just cause price inflation, and the interest rates are already so low that everybody's being driven into the stock market. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, a lot of people wonder, is this a good time to buy gold and silver? And I think that what you should do is go dollar cost averaging with gold and silver. Buy X dollars worth of gold and silver every Y weeks or months. Mm-hmm. So no matter what it's cost, you'll get the best deal. But at any rate, getting back to the market, as far as the QEs, have, they've stopped now. The market is concerned about how stock prices are going to react. Interest rates are low because of all the QE infusions, as I mentioned earlier. And so this money's wandered into the stock markets and seeking returns um, due to these artificial uh, rates, as I mentioned. But again, as this leaks out through the IPOs and startups and bank loans, you know, or when's the federal, when, if the federal bank, if the central bank tries to sell its assets, which they probably will drop it down from four trillion. Mm-hmm. Interest rates and price for inflation will probably soar, and that would choke off any recovery. I don't know about you, but I mean, I don't think this is any kind of a great recovery. Well, we're kind of limping along. There's just so many. I'm just. We've witnessed a total collapse in the oil market, and now that's kind of rebounded here. You know. Basic commodities have been under a lot of pressure recently, but still, the Fed is is buying 65, 70 percent of our, our our debt. There's no other market for our debt right, right. now, so that's, that's just right. unsustainable. Uh, and you know, rate. Fred, if I may interject this before we get too far away from it, I have a theory about why the oil prices are so low. Okay, why? What? 
Now, your conspiracy people out there, if they're ready there, are going to love this, okay? I, I've been reading these books by Robert Zubrin, who is a rocket scientist and an engineer. He's head of the Mars Society, and I think he's probably the most brilliant man on the planet Earth. Um, he's actually, what you, when you ever say to somebody, it's not rocket science or brain surgeon, surgery, you're talking about Robert Zubrin. So he wrote a book the other uh, year or decade called uh, Energy Victory. And I just reread this book because I like to read a book when it first comes out and then read it every two to four years to see what's going on, whether it's making predictions. And he lists in this book, he basically lists the graph showing how progress is going with fusion. Okay. And he has a graph in there showing the progress of fusion technology. Now, the goal of fusion is to reach a point called ignition. And ignition means that you can squeeze two deuterium atoms together with lasers and other kinds of pressure. And only when you get enough deuterium atoms to fuse together and create enough heat can the reaction keep going on its own power. Okay. So at first it takes a tremendous amounts of lasers blasting these things together and you know trillions of tons of electricity. Yeah. And then as soon as you hit ignition, it's kind of like lighting a sparkler. You know how you light to hold the match up to the sparkler? Sure. Yeah. And it takes, takes a while, forever it takes a while. Then, it, then it's lit, right? Yeah. All right. I took I took his graphs in this book and I extrapolated them very carefully by putting a ruler up to them. And the last graph in there ends in the year 2010. Okay. But if you extrapolate these graphs leading up to to ignition, it shows that we hit ignition somewhere between 2005 and 2015. That means we have ignition. The scientists of the world have figured out how to do plasma fusion. That means that one gallon of seawater is equal to 350 gallons of, excuse me, 350 gallons of, uh, one gallon of seawater, I'm a little screwed up, one yeah. gallon of seawater when fused produces the same amount of energy density as 350 gallons of gasoline. Jesus Christ, wow. Now let that sink in for a second. Sea one water. gallon sea of seawater equals 350 gallons of gasoline? We have enough fuel for a billion years on this planet. In other words, the absolute planetary energy needs are solved as of now. And the oil empire knows this. So they're dumping the oil right now. Jesus, God. That's, wow. that's right. What would you do? They're dumping the oil. We've got plasma fusion, and the power uh, power lead is not letting it out of the bag. Neither is the oil establishment. They're going probably nuts right now. So here's how I really know that we have plasma fusion. Okay. I have a very tiny little correspondence with Robert Zubrin in that I write him emails, and he, I, whatever I have questions, I write him an email like, Robert, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, and he this is the back, author of the blah, book. Blah, blah, blah. This is the author of the book. Yeah, yeah this is him. This has been going on for yeah. 10 or 15 years. Yeah, wow. Okay, so I finally, when I cognized after reading his book, we hit plasma fusion. I said, Robert, we've hit plasma fusion, right? Guess what he said? Uh, you're correct. <laughs> he didn't write back. Oh, he didn't write back. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. So I wrote him again. 
Robert, on page 63 of your book, and according to this and that and that, that we've got to have plasma fusion, right? Didn't write back. Normally he writes back, though, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So he's going to be one of the first people on the planet to know about this because he's working with Cameron and all those other guys. And he's working with, um, what's, the, what's the name of the guy? Putting up the rockets. Musk. Okay, so what I think's going on is Musk is announced these 400 satellites. Uh-huh. Where's the best place to do plasma fusion? It's not on the planet. In space. Because it's in space where there's zero Gs. Because your biggest problem with plasma fusion is 100 million degrees Celsius burns through anything. You have to suspend it in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a container of magnetism. Wow. So the, the, I think I think Zubrin and these guys are all working on getting this stuff going in space. The oil empire is freaking out. The, the six sisters are freaking out. Um, and we got to let this get out of the bag. Now this is my new. This is my first and only conspiracy theory. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like it? It's a good one. <laughs> well, we'll see if it's copies, right? I mean, if, if if oil continues down from here, I mean, it's had a nice little bump here, but uh, man, is it, was it a collapse this year? This is this is almost as as bad, if not worse, than the previous collapse. Well, of course, the other the other reason for the uh, the oil prices is OPEC's obviously trying to drive everyone out of business. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they do. That's the standard operating procedure. You know, when we had the when we had the gas lines going around the block back in when was it the seventies? Seventies, yeah, seventy three. Yeah, the same exact thing happened. Uh, all the investments started going into plasma fusion. So and 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 then all you know because the oil prices were so high, and then as soon as oil high prices get jacked up again because everyone's out of business, you know the same mo as Rockefeller. Uh, wow, uh, then uh, plasma fusion starts to drop again. So it's it's you know they're just they're just trying to the other theory is they're trying to drive everyone out of business, but of course everybody knows about that theory because that's exactly what Rockefeller used to do. So James, you. You uh, got Ron Paul in the can for this latest movie, uh, documentary. Right? Yes, I spoke to him personally. He said he would be in the movie. Now I, ha- I just have to get it nailed down. Okay, you okay? You haven't done him him yet. Okay, got it. He's next, and I'm trying to get Alex Jones. Alex said he would do the movie if I could shoot him in March. Okay. Um, Pat Buchanan said he'll be in the movie, but he's got problems because he's promoting his Nixon book. So I'm tr- I'm working on him. Uh, we also may be able to get Ted Nugent in the movie. Oh, wow. And one of my producing partners knows his wife, so he's contacted him. I want to get somebody as a representative of the NRA in the movie. And I've also asked uh, Wayne LaPierre to be in it because I want the big three in the movie. Wow. Um, so, you know, some of that will be real. Some of it will be pie in the sky. But, but Stuart Rose is already in, right? He's been already filmed, right? Stuart's already been interviewed, yes. Got he it. did a fabulous job. They all did. And uh, I wanted to interview Dan Happel and Elias because I think they're rising stars in the freedom movement. And Dan has been commissioner of Radnor Township. Dan actually put me in touch with uh, Elias three years ago. And I gave them the premier, Oath Keepers, the premier of, of cultural Marxism. So we've been working with them since Spoiler. Well, actually, mostly Molon Labe. They were presenter of that. And they Boy, were this Oath Keeper site is sweet, man. 
<laughs> yeah, it's really yeah. got a lot of color to it. <laughs> it's really nice. And for those of your uh, audience that may not be familiar with O'Keethers, they have their ten rule, ten orders that they will not obey. And I have them right here in front of me on my system, which are, I'll just give you an example sure. of a handful of them. Yeah. One of them is, we will not obey any orders to disarm the American people. Order, we will not obey orders to conduct warrantless searches of the American people. Order, we will not obey orders to detain American citizens of unlaw, unlawful enemy combatants or to subject them to military tribunal. Order, we will not obey orders to impose martial law or a state of emergency on a state. So right there, and in fact, it's so funny, but when we start, when Edwin and I were developing this movie, I didn't even realize that this was what Oath Keepers' Ted and rules were. <laughs> I know that may sound crazy, but it dawned on me one night at 4 a.m. or something that, God, this movie that <laughs> we're doing sounds just like Oath Keepers' Ten Orders that... No military servicemen should obey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, well, coming full circle, I guess. <laughs> it's coming full circle. It's kind of funny. And I said this to Edwin, and he he didn't quite, you know, he kind of cocked his head and said, "Yeah, it, it does seem like a lot of them are involved." <laughs> so he's got the new book out, by the way. It's called "By Tyranny Out of Necessity: The Bastardy of Martial Law." And I'm telling you. For those of you that think that is a contorted and twisted Ed- Edwardian type of title, they're right. They're right. But once you figure out the real meaning of what this title is all about, uh, you know, by tyranny out of necessity, that doesn't even sound like a sentence. Yeah. I said to Edwin, get rid of the word by. Just say tyranny out of necessity. No, 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 no. There is a reason for every word in this title. And I'm not going to tell you, because you have to watch Midnight Ride to find out. <laughs> How many pages is this new book by Edwin Vera? It's like a massive 10-ton volume again. It's, oh, you know, my God. Wow. Sister to the previous one. I don't think it's quite as big. Actually, the, previ- the first one was 2,500 pages. Holy crap. Wow. It was either 2,500 or 1,500. This one's about... 900 or 1,000, and it's available at Amazon. Um, Bless him. How how is Edwin doing, James? How is his health? He's doing great. I mean, you know, Edwin's sister's doing great, too. You know, she's got the Meredith Vieira show going. Yeah, she's she's still on TV. Wow. And I said to Edwin, for God's sakes, we got to get the Edwin Vieira show going. <laughs> Meredith can sit there and tell everybody why they want to be Americans, how happy it is, how great this country is. And Edwin, you can tell them how to keep it. <laughs> you know, Meredith can be showing us why do you tell how to keep it. <laughs> okay. Well, so Edwin said that's a, a crazy I said, is this a crazy and ge- a crazy or genius idea? And he said, sometimes the two are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> Whatever that means. Well, does she, does Meredith, um, is she a, a cohort of her brother? I mean, does she support that whole thing that he's doing? Oh yeah, they're they're very close, but she's she has to be a little more lefty because you know she's in the mainstream media. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's got her whole thing, and she does very well with it too. I just wondered, 
I've always wondered about that, so thanks for sharing that. Yeah, you can't you can't be Ed One and working for NBC, okay? Or you're going to be just like Napolitano. Right, of course, but it's nice I mean, that how, they are close, you know. Uh, how Stossel uh, hangs on in there, I have no idea. He must have dirt on everybody from ten years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's got to have dirt on every one of those execs. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Brian I mean, Williams, you know. example. <laughs> Gosh, so the whole thing um, is kind of falling apart. Well, we need real, real information out there. When, how, what's the next step? I know you're going to complete these other interviews, so you're looking at raising. You have thirty thousand. You'd like to raise probably another seventy. No, forty-five would get us through 45? the desert. A post. Okay. Post we, we don't. We make sure the movies are pretty cheap to make. Um, unlike Michael Moore, who burns through, you know, like a million and a half or whatever. Lots of union people sitting around the set doing nothing. We have no union people sitting around the set doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it'll be, we hope to have this thing done in by fall. Okay. By October. And um, then we'll release it. And I have no idea what I'm going to do next. Anybody have any ideas for a movie? Well, you were going to share something about your research into Hollywood, and uh, you want to you want to segue into that now? Just just oh the scene. yeah, I'm I'm I've, I've been asked to do an uh, interview for the Daily Bell, and so I've been doing some homework, and. Um, you know, as Hollywood, you look at Hollywood, and what's their, you know, their modus operandi is they, you know, ticket prices are fourteen dollars for a matinee, mm-hmm. and then IMAX would cost even more, but it really sucks unless you sit in the sweet spot. And <laughs> if you don't sit in the sweet spot, it's really not any better than watching 3D. Yeah, you know, in a yeah. general theater. Well, if I was the CEO of Warner Brothers or Sony or Paramount, and if anyone wants to give me the job, I'm interested, <laughs> I would lower the ticket prices and allow patrons to spend the rest of the day in theater complex once they come in. Charge maybe at $10, and they get to come in. Then the patrons would be allowed to wander around and watch or sample any of the movies. Oh, cool, yeah. And they could they could play any of the movies playing in the multiplex, and then they'd also be able to buy some reasonably priced popcorn, you know, food, beverages. I'd allocate spaces all over the place to film enthusiasts, film buffs, you know, filmmakers, anyone that could go in there, sit down, have a reasonably priced cup of coffee, meal, drink, and beverage. And then this would turn the movie theaters into cultural meeting centers, you know, yeah. where people could hang out all day, watch movies, chat, study, sure, write, network, party. Present, all for ten bucks, yeah. ten dollar admission. Give them all this, and I'll bet you they'd go in and spend a lot more money on instead of buying, you know, like one bag, reluctantly buying a bag of popcorn for twenty five dollars. You know, they might sit there and eat hot dogs and hamburgers and popcorn the whole day. Mm-hmm. So um, this will get everybody back into the theaters. Wow, and that's, a, that's a great concept. Instead of Going yeah, kids silo. might even leave their basements where yeah. they're now holed up watching movies on various flavors of small screens, you know, and get out there. Wow. <laughs> I don't yeah, want that's... for 
total redesign, though. Yeah, but you could do that. Someone could 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 do the, a complete re, re, revamp of the format of what it looks like inside. Yeah. Also, well, consider such... this: the average Hollywood movie costs 107 million dollars. Yep. Okay. Now, what if you took that 100 million dollars and say allocated it to 100 filmmakers? You know, say 100 of the people you find in the theaters hanging out. Boy, you'd Each have a lot of. Yeah. Huh? You give each filmmaker a million dollars to make a debut film, and consider the return on investment. Like, for instance, Napoleon Dynamite, which was made for four hundred thousand, earns forty-six million. Wow. That's a return on investment of five thousand six hundred percent. You have movies like Clerks, twenty-seven thousand, that made three point nine million. That's a seven thousand return on investment. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Rocky, um, you know, or Halloween, three hundred, you know, twenty-five thousand, earned seventy million, eleven thousand return on investment. Night of the Living Dead, you know, something like a hundred, hundred thousand to produce it makes thirty million, thirteen thousand percent return on the Blair Witch Project, twenty thousand percent return on investment. These are all documented, like. These are all the absolute facts wow. that these movies made. Now, I ask you, do you, can you get that in the stock market? <laughs> can you get that in gold? Can you get that in the real estate? Can you even get that in the derivative market? No, you can't get anything like this. Is, the top 10 grossing films have got an average return on investment of 11,000%. Jesus, God. That means, that means that you could literally... With an, 11, an average of 11,000%, if you divide that by 20... Right, a twenty percent return on investment, which is much more than the stock market usually gets. But let's just say a twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Divide twenty into that, and that goes almost six hundred times. That means you could fail at your film five hundred and ninety-eight times. Of that one and on winner, five hundred ninety-ninth film, we get a twenty percent return on your investment. So it's insane that people are investing money in the stock market and gold, silver, real estate. You know, it's just absolutely insane that the movie industry is just the highest returns on investment anywhere on the planet. And this is the best kept secret there is in the universe if you have the capital to follow through with a lot of motion pictures. So why doesn't the studio break these up into $100 million into $100 million yeah. shots and give it to <clears throat> hundreds of thousands of filmmakers? They'll they, would make, they don't want to make any more money. Okay. Hollywood is not money-driven, as everyone says. That's okay. a bunch of crap. You know, the studios, oh, they're run by the big corporation. No, they're run by a small handful of people that want to keep it just the way it is. Okay. And their only goal is to just keep the, machine, the slaver running and to put out their propaganda and slowly mold the civilization into exactly what they want it to be. That's the total purpose of Hollywood. And if you don't believe me, read the 500-page book called Fatal Subtraction, written by attorney, entertainment attorney uh, um, Pierce O'Donnell on the Buckwald case, the suit which sued Paramount. The whole case is going down the chute, and the uh, the Buckwalds claiming that uh, he had his story stolen by Paramount, yeah, and so on for King of America, and uh, the whole thing gets into court after all this 
all this legal machinating by the little Hollywood boutique firms all over the place, and asked the studios, were asked, why did you do it? Why did you steal the thing? And, the, and then the studios claimed, oh, well, you know, we have to pay for the, the loser films with the, with the, um, the, the successful films. That's called cross-collateralization in the movie business. Mm-hmm. So the judge says, okay, so you're using cross-collateralization to prove that, you know, to, to secure the, the flops. Proved, and they say, yeah, because the movie industry is so darn risky, we have to do that. So the judge says, prove to me and the court that the movie industry is risky. Oh Can anybody God. here guess what happened in this law case that's out there on the books in the public they, domain? They settled really quick. They settled the hell real quick. <laughs> Which means the movie industry is not risky. Wow. And all these stupid investors all over the planet sit there thinking it's risky, and then they get suckered into the New York Stock Exchange and all the rest of the crap. You cannot win in the stock market unless you're an insider, period. It's set up to the broker-dealers take the money and all the rest of the, the market makers. Hey, James, uh, we've got some people listening that uh, maybe want to open this up a little bit uh I don't know if Al Jordan is still on, but what's your comment about Bitcoin as a new investment vehicle, platform, technology, and its impact on not just Hollywood or filmmaking, but in, in financial terms in general? Uh, you know, I, Fred, I honestly don't know what to think of Bitcoin, and I've been studying it for a few years. It's like, I, I guess maybe I don't know enough about it. it. It seems like a pretty good idea, and the idea that it asymptotes at a certain quantity which is what Rothbard says the currency should do. But my main trepidation about it is that it seems like it's so net dependent, power grid dependent. Mm-hmm. I mean, if a comet or a solar electromagnetic uh, uh, pulse comes out of the sun, where's Bitcoin? <laughs> oh, excuse me, but uh, <laughs> you, have to have you know, my million dollars – Bitcoin is fried off along with my face. <laughs> okay. So I just say let's go back to gold, you know? Yeah. Forget silver. Let's forget bimetallism because that confuses everybody. Let's just go back to gold. Uh-huh. And, of course, that's what we're going to be doing anyway. So <laughs> what well, the heck, right? Yeah. The only question is when is the 100-year Ponzi going to crash? <clears throat> And uh, it's mathematically impossible for it to continue because every time a unit of principles issued, it has unit of debt service on it. And at the time of principal issue, the debt service is never issued. Ergo, they have to print up more money to satisfy the debt service. James, you know so you know this, but doesn't it bother you when you listen to the ads for banks, mortgages, and everything else? The use of the word, the term loan. It's not really a loan, but yet it's bantied about, bartered about, thrown around as if the banks are really at risk taking money from depositors and extending them to borrowers. When it's just That's simply- right, and there was a lawsuit against the bank for that very reason, and the court prevailed in the form of the, the uh, plaintiff. That was the Credit River decision, correct, up in Minnesota? Yeah. That's right, um, and, and the judge, uh, I don't and the judge was murdered. Uh, I guess within a couple of two, three weeks, right? Mysteriously, he he 
Yeah, I, I I don't know the details on that, Fred, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yep. It's kind of like you know the, when Kennedy allegedly was issuing the order to, you know, start printing up U.S. Treasury bills. I guess he was trying to print up U.S. Uh, notes in competition with Federal Reserve notes. You know, Less suddenly six he was gone. Later, he was gone. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be very interesting what's going to happen with the fusion. If I'm correct on this fusion that we that we have reached ignition, there's also big things happening on solar. Solar, I can't remember the exact details, but Ray Kurzweil agrees with this and many other futurists that we're solar is going to hit uh, parity uh, with natural gas in about five more years. I mean, I mean the, cost, the, kilowatt the, hour, the cost to generate a kilowatt hour of solar is going to be at the same. Wow. Yeah, parity of, I believe, natural gas, and I forget what it is. If you go, if you type into Google solar parity mm-hmm. and Kurzweil or whatever, you can see all the data. So we've got, um, I think the two ideal energy sources for the planet are plasma fusion and solar. The plasma fusion would be centralized for major industries, and solar would be on everybody's rooftop and light industry. Solar infrastructure would provide a distributed network of electricity. The plasma fusion uh, structure would provide centralized distribution of heavy. See, the plasma plants are probably going to be pretty big, and you need them to melt steel and everything else. But another thing nice about plasma fusion is it remedies all of the problems of resources on the planet because you can do this thing called flashing. Since plasma fusion is 100 million degrees Celsius, you can take any pile of trash mm-hmm. and expose it to the plasma, and the plasma turns it into its constituent elements immediately. Wow. So Jeez. that means we can recycle every single bit of waste on the planet. Down to its pure inert uh, ingredients. Pardon me? Down to its pure inert ingredients. Well, down to its atoms, atoms, elements. Wow. The element. That means if you take a big, if you take a, a, a you know, an old computer, yeah. <laughs> and expose it to the plasma, it'll it'll separate the gold out, the silver, the iron, the plastic, the you know, the oxygen. Won't it won't separate out the plastic because that's a compound, but I mean all the elements. Yeah. Another nice thing about plasma is not only does it is it can you burn burn it to create steam for electricity, but you can convert it into methanol, which gives us an infinite amount supply of liquid fuel. Also, it's perfect for rocket engines, which means trips to Mars, instead of taking six to nine months, will take six to nine weeks. And, of course, Mars, since Mars is so cold and freezing, you've got to have plasma before you can go to Mars, because how are you going to heat up the whole planet? Well, you need something where one gallon of, uh, you know, water turns into three hundred fifty gallons of gasoline. You think that's enough to heat up Mars? <laughs> you're gonna heat up Mars. And the only way you're gonna heat up Mars is with plasma fusion. You're not gonna take solar up there. Well, you probably could. T- you take solar up there and have it for distributed energy, and the same thing. The heavy machines that would terraform the planet. So you know what? The human race has got to get on the stick. <laughs> got the... I'm pissed off. I, I'm getting sick of this planet. 
little yeah, boring we, we, piece we of need, crap planet in the middle of nowhere, you know, with the Fermi paradox all around us? Doesn't that scare you, D? What's the yeah, they need to step it. They need to step it up. <laughs> Doesn't the Fermi paradox scare the shit out of anyone out there? It scares the shit out of me. You know why? I, do, do you guys know what I mean by that? No, I mean, no, I don't. Well, Enrico Fermi in 1950. Well, he, he's the guy who first blew up the atom bomb here in Chicago at, at Southside. Yeah, he hung out with Teller and all the rest of them, yeah. and the Fermi lab is named after him. He's like a physicist. Yep. But anyway, Fermi's walking to lunch one day with Teller and you know Oppenheimer and a whole bunch of them, and he says, well, gee, if there's billions of stars out there, where is everyone? <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> there's billions and billions of stars in just the Milky Way alone, and then there's billions and billions of galaxies in the Virgo cluster and everything else. So where the hell is everyone? It's why is it so quiet? You know, why is SETI not having... And, you know, I don't believe in all these UFOs and spaceships landing. That's a bunch of crap. Well, SETI, no, they're false information. They're pro-intel. <laughs> there's, nobody, there's nobody out there. Where did they all go? So my theory about where they all went is they're all dead. They're either, they're either microscopic or they're all dead. That means every civilization reaches a certain technological... Uh, level and then blows itself up probably because it gets robots and artificial intelligence and becomes a global totalitarian nazi government and then that planet's gone so that scares me oh my god collapses of its own weight oh my god hey uh, james we're going to open it up comments and questions anyone star six your phone uh midnight ride is the latest documentary uh james jaeger Please support this this cause. Where is the funding uh, button on this, James? Uh, is it over on mechfilms.com? If anybody wants to donate, they can go to Midnight Ride. Uh, it's, no, they can go to, yeah, midnightride.us. Midnightride.us, okay. Slash donate. Slash donate, okay. And uh, they can see the trailer and the rationale and read the script and look at the budget and all that. And then if they want to throw in a hundred bucks, they can get their name on the film. And if they want to throw in larger sums of money, we have a, a producer credit available, an executive producer credit, and a associate producer credit available on the front of the picture. So all those details are there at that donate midnightride.us slash donate. Another thirty five thousand or forty thousand would do it. Midnightride.us slash donate donate. Yeah, people are donating to the film. We've had about 250 or 300 donations so far. One guy put in 10,000. Wow. That's great. Bang, Rocky, Rocky, um, Brian Rocky, he's our is our executive producer. We're hoping that uh some of the other executive producers come on board. We worked with Mr. Iatt on the last film, who's a extremely prolific executive producer. And he did Beautiful Boy and many other incredible features. So we have a great group of people. And Oath Keepers has been very helpful. So it's been people from the last films and new people. Hey, James. I'm hoping we can get the NRA to wake up. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, Sundance uh, as a festival, it's just highly, uh, you can't get stuff like that 
like this in there. It's uh, what's the deal with Sundance? It's, oh, I had a big fight with Sundance. Okay. It was really funny. It was about, I guess, five or ten years ago. You know, Sundance is the god, right? You're supposed to revere your deity, right? Yeah. So let's see what happened. I've got to refresh my memory. And for everyone, Um, I I submitted a film to them called um, Original Intent. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How the Democratic and Republican parties are destroying the American dream, okay? Yeah. I said it to Sundance, and I forget the exact details of it, but um, I paid my money, sent it in, blah, 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 don't hear anything, this and that. So I decided to write him an email in huge capital letters. Do any of you assholes actually watch these films? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I get a response back from one of the executives working there. Yes, us assholes do watch the films. <laughs> and so that started a massive firefight between Sundance and me, where I was getting, asking them to prove that they actually watched the films. Little did I know that people were thinking about suing them for this very reason, that they were accusing Sundance of just taking endless fees, admission yeah. fees, and not actually even looking at any of the damn films. Oh, wow. So we were going back and forth, back and forth, screaming and yelling, and, you know, and this one guy, you know, it just goes on and on. But anyway, I I chronicled the whole freaking argument and posted it on the Internet. (laughs) And I can't remember where it is. I get, you know, all the Sundance executives and all this, they're they're such idiots. And then I took the whole argument and mailed it off to Redford. Okay. Oh, did you? <laughs> I said, Redford, here's what the idiots in your organization. And I have a friend named John Longnecker who used to work for Redford. He's an Oscar producer, Oscar-winning producer out in L.A. And I, I knew him when I was in Scientology. And so I said, John, do hand this crap over to Redford and tell what his institute is doing. So you know, I don't think they're doing anything else. They're basically just promoting mindless films, the same old crap Hollywood puts out, safe vanilla crap. You know, just go to Netflix and look at it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going to find anything about the the militia on Sundance. Oh, yeah. I mean, is well, that the most ridiculous? You know, Bob Redford's going to support guns, right? Right there in Utah. <laughs> so this is all lefty Hollywood marching to the beat of... Uh, you know, it's it's really interesting. All the lefties in Hollywood can't tolerate personal arms, but they hate war. Yep. I mean, I think they got it right that our foreign policy is, you know, we're out there tromping around the whole planet with our, you know, our 900 military bases fighting wars everywhere, and the left hates that. Um well, maybe they're being consistent, <laughs> come to think of it. I haven't had much sleep, so they want to take the guns away from everybody, right? I don't know. They they want to take the guns away from everybody. I can't understand that, why they can't understand the personal security. Aren't there five reasons why you should be able to own a weapon? Well, we've got concealed carry here in Illinois. For the first time, we were the last state to allow for concealed carry, or at least Chicago, the last major city. And the crime stats have just collapsed, you know. Uh, so it's been uh, it's the guys tracking this here in Chicago. So I don't know if it's going to continue, but uh, yeah, that's great. Murder rates, of course, you know, they, murder they have, rates no, are way down. No authority. Yeah, 
there's no authority in the Constitution for them to be able to utter about concealed or or open carry. Yeah. Um, you all, everybody has the right to do concealed or open carry, whether the government has any quote laws unquote about it or not. The only trouble is you got might have to do jail time if you disagree with their bogus laws. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess a lot of people should go to jail. <clears throat> Hey, James, I know you're burning the candle at both ends, so we're going to wrap this up. Anybody out there, a comment or question for James Yeager? It's great to have you back on our call, James, and we really appreciate you taking the time out tonight to share some of your time and uh, with us, and I hope Edwin keeps ticking out there. Anybody, a comment or question for James real quick? Just star six your phone. I thought Al was going to be out there. He is. He is there, Al. Okay. Yeah, and he's unmuted. He's unmuted too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at any rate, if no one's got a question, I can I leave you with one thought. Sure. I did find the thought, the five reasons we want to have keep and bury. Okay. Uh, keep okay. and bury. Keep, keep and bury. bury. <laughs> <laughs> we want to keep those berries, right? Keep those berries refrigerated. <laughs> Or for target shooting, <laughs> we okay. want to be able to shoot those nice cold berries. Now, but target shooting is the first one. Hunting for food, self-defense is the third. Deterrent against tyranny is the fourth. And our role in the state militias, per the U.S. Constitution, is the fifth. And unfortunately, the gun control lobby seems to specialize in ignoring one through five, even though 169 million people, and I shouldn't be laughing, were murdered by their governments in the past century. Yep. And this includes, you know, 61 million murdered in the Soviet Union and, and 35 in the communist Chinese state and 21 million in the Nazi state. So actually the Nazis were the nicest ones. Relatively speaking, wow. Yeah. Con- contrary to every Hollywood movie you've seen. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah, well, so I would I would hope that Americans would eventually. I, I wish Mondo Lobby was in the main theaters because it's such a simple concept. Those five things you said it would reverse a lot of people's confused opinions about it. You know, not even to mention the Second Amendment. But I I don't know. I I finally found a site where you can order your movie. It's twenty dollars, right? We can order what? Your movie, Mondo Lobby. Oh yes, it's yeah, it's twenty dollars, nineteen ninety eight. Oh okay, because I only found one place when I looked for it, and um, yeah, the, the movies are all at moviepubs.net. If anybody wants all of them, and there's packages and things, we're also going to try something new with the movies, Midnight Ride. Um, YouTube has made it possible to rent the movies. Oh really? So you can simply go to YouTube and you can yeah. put in a dollar or two or whatever the producer puts oh, cool. in there. And you can simply rent it, which means you get to have it for 72 hours, or you can buy it right online. Oh, that's great. So we had, you figure we had a million people downloaded Fiat Empire, for instance, and uh, fought 300,000 or 200,000 Molon Labe. Wow. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we got a dollar for each download? Absolutely. <laughs> and wow. we wouldn't have to bother our donors all day long. Yeah, the thing is, you know, I, I want to share it if I have it. I've been, you know, wanting to share it with some people that need to see it, but can you, you don't want to copy it once you download it. That's not 
Well, right. you, uh, I guess you go to YouTube. You go to YouTube, and you simply, um, you know, you put in the. Uh, you just go to the URL. If you go to YouTube now, we did put up a test. We put up spoiler as a test. So if you go oh, to okay. spoiler and ask for a dollar or two, I don't know how okay. how it works. I don't know how well it's going to work because I haven't gotten my monthly stats there okay. yet. But, you know, we are, we're, we're torn between putting these movies out for free on the public domain and trying to generate something to keep in business making them. Oh, yeah, that's what we went through with America's Freedom to Fascism. So that's really, it's a good point. I don't mind buying it. I just want to make sure I can buy it. I mean, if I got it at YouTube, they sell it there too. Is that what you just said? Um, what, well, was the, what was the name of the, co- the company, movie something? That uh, Spoilers up there on YouTube right now. If you go to um, if you go to the Matrix site at YouTube, which is YouTube.com/slash/OriginalIntentDoc, the movies are all there, and they're all up there for free. So I don't I don't know what the what the methodology here is marketing. I mean, do you think do you think people will download it and put in a dollar or two? Or you know that's a hell of a oh, lot cheaper than twenty dollars. Why wouldn't they? No, I mean, the only reason a person would not do that and just buy it instead is so they could share it. But if you can turn somebody onto it and tell them where to see it for a dollar, I think that's a great idea. It sure beats not getting it out there at all. Yeah, what do you think is the amount, the price that should be put on a, 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 a independent film that's newly released? You mean like if you buy it for $20? Is that what you're... Same. I mean, yeah. I, don't think, I mean, I, don't, I mean, for I don't the download that's market, the oh, download market. You ba- you basically we went we went and we did some research and we found that um, you have studio releases and independent releases, and the studios usually charge six dollars to download a new movie, mm-hmm. uh, to rent it, or nine dollars to buy it. Apparently, you can buy it by downloading it, and it gives you a permanent download. When you download them. Um, as a rental, it only lets you rent it, keep it for 72 hours. So that's kind of cool. You can, you know, put in any any amount. You can charge between six and two dollars for a rental. People get to keep it for 72 hours, or they can buy it and keep it for x, you know, infinite number of hours. They, there's no limit. To Digitally, not hard copy, but just on your computer, right? Yeah, you, you get a digital copy, but even that's a lot. That's a lot cheaper than twenty dollars for a DVD. Yeah. And also, you figure the hassle—you wouldn't believe what a hassle it is delivering DVDs to people. You have to have them manufactured, you have to have them shipped. Oh yeah. You know, and then you have to ship them out again once they come from the manufacturer. I mean, it's really a pain in the neck. And and plus, the producer actually makes less money than everyone else because the producer has to pay for the cost of manufacturing. So all we have like we have like about I guess about ten distributors like Reality Zone, WorldNet Daily, News with Views, you know, various outlets that carry the movies. And um you know, the DVDs are kind of a pain. So I don't know, I'm gonna be very interested to see what uh, digital downloads, whether they make a difference. I would think they would. That's gonna be interesting for you. Good luck with that. I'm going to get one. You actually worked on uh, Freedom to Fascism? 
Well, it was our group, Fred and Steve and all, a lot of the rest of us, 38 state coordinators that put that movie out in 77 different theaters across the nation. Wow. And we all... Yeah, that's how we met, and that was our first project together, working with Aaron Russo. We worked really closely with him, and um, we we ended up making our own label, and when he got to the point where he was ready to let it go out for free, we just kind of went ballistic, but he had to make a certain amount of money first, and the theater company that produced it was not working on support of him or us, so we, we just took it into our own hands and helped him every day for way over a year. So do you think you've, you must have learned a lot about marketing? Well, I already knew a lot about marketing, but yes, we did. (laughs) We we were, we were basically uh, all caught up in in this uh, wave of activism, uh, naturally, naturally just spontaneously erupted all across the country over that documentary, uh, James. And uh, uh, getting it into 77 theaters uh or cities for example um, yeah we were on phone call conferences seven days a week back then almost well, how did you yeah. ever get how did you ever get it in did you four wall it well <clears throat> cinema libra was the was the you know they, they were doing some of the background work but what they needed was people from our group to to fly or to leaflet and to generate the foot traffic uh, into the theater. So we provided a lot of the uh, spontaneous, natural, organic distribution of information, uh, whether co- coffee shops. I mean, we just had a whole bunch of people flyering, postering all over the country. Oh, yeah, we put it in the local paper oh, here and had the, yeah. had the film crew out there for the opening, and it was pretty fun. You know what? I have an inkling of what kind of work that was because with Molan Labe, we actually had it in three theaters. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, three theaters was a pain in the neck. Well, oh, it, it, was, was, a it, was, it was a grind. Every, every, week, yeah. every week How was many another theaters? city we, or a collection of cities, and it all had to be coordinated. It was pr- pretty, pretty – uh it was grueling work. Remember, Dee? Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you we think worked it, on do you think it. it's worth it? Huh? Yeah, well, it was. It was grueling work, but at the same time, it was just a matter of getting the boots on the ground. I mean, we have a theater here, Clinton Street Theater, that plays a lot of the films like that. And it was just a matter of going in, meeting the guy, getting him a trailer, um, you know, and, and they generated a lot of attention around it once the theater owner got the gist of it. There's a lot of patriots out there. And then, you know, we had to coordinate uh, being there for the opening, and, you know, each group, each person, each city did a different version of it and we recorded a lot of them there, the main thing you had to work with is the fact that Aaron Russo was a bona fide Hollywood director he produced he he directed Trading Places yep. with yep. Eddie Murphy and that was and a big Rose. that did that did big numbers and so the theaters knew all about that and that's that's basically he was your Ron Paul yeah, he, he, yeah, well, he, was, he was our superstar he was he was as I've learned he, you have to have a name star in your movie he, you know he, he was uh, a main star in the rock and roll business way before he did the movies I mean he had the kinetic underground in Chicago is the largest rock club in the nation and the IRS 
basically burned it down, but all the great groups played there in my, I mean, I was 67, so back then it was, you know, the dead and the uh, Grateful the Grateful Dead and uh, Jefferson Airplane, Big Brother and the Holding Company. You know, he brought Led Zeppelin to America with his own money for their ticket. So well, he, he was, was a promoter before he was a director. Yeah. yeah, and that was when he was 24 years old. So I was a huge Bette Midler fan, too. I like all kinds of music, and that's what where I first actually became aware of him was he produced her and he did the same thing for several people. He did the Rose, you know, the story of Janis Joplin. And with you know, I came, I came a few inches away from getting to meet him, getting a meeting. I was I was working with, um, who, who's one of some of his people that were in the organization? Yolanda? Is that, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the girl. She was his contact or his assistant. Oh, oh, oh wait a minute. Uh, oh, Alona. Yelona. Alona. She was his press secretary. We worked yeah. with her every day. In fact, I just talked Alona. to her a few days okay. ago. <laughs> Alona and I were really, you know, we were really getting to know each other. We talked a lot because we just had released Fiat Empire at the time, and that yeah. was going viral and all this. And she was setting me up with a meeting with uh, with Aaron. But Aaron was, uh, was in the hospital. Yep. And she kept saying, oh, he's going to be better next week. Oh, he's going to be better next week, James. Yeah. <laughs> this went on for like a year. And then he died. Then he died, yeah. Yeah, he was getting so, a lot better, and he kind of died sort of mysteriously at the end there. It was a little weird for all of us. <laughs> yeah, we really. were talking to We were talking to him every day. I mean, Fred had his ear and had met him, I and I had his ear, and Alona, Fred and Alona and I and Aaron, we talked a lot, I mean, almost every day. And yeah. we worked with a bunch of other people that were – you know, that we're facilitating. I just thought, I mean, it was a special time. That's why we're still together doing this work, you know, because he inspired us and he, we rocked the pillars back then. I mean, it, and the pillars are still rocking from that movie, which I thought was great. And you're, all your movies, of course. And hey, if, you, uh, if you see Alona, will you say hi to her for me? I, I don't well, know she, if I still have her her email, but it's her. She moved, she moved to... Um, South America. She moved to Chile, and then they they decided, no, it was Chile, and they decided that they didn't, she called me from there, and we talked for about two hours recently, but they are moving to Panama. They're going to be there full-time starting June the 1st, but um, I can send you her email address if you'd like to have it, or, you know, I have her new phone number and her new email address, or you can just yeah, catch just, me. Yeah, just as a matter of pro- protocol, just tell her James said hi, and uh, I would like her email okay. because I can keep okay. her briefed on the movies that are going out. She'll probably get a kick out of that. Oh, she'd and, love to uh, hear from you. And it's good to talk to her because yeah. her last name, I forget her last name. Was it Blakely? Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was Blakely, her, right? Yep. Her husband, Paul. They had to, they've left Chile now, Fred, because it's, there's too much crime there. And and she want, they wanted to go somewhere where it stayed green all year long, so they found this high-altitude town in Panama where, where my brother is actually moving to, and so that's why I've been talking to her, so we hooked them up together, she and my brother. <laughs> this is what a small world. You know, I, I have felt a vacuum in the universe of her being gone. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, um, but there's definitely been a vacuum because I had some great conversations with her. She's a very high-energy chick, <laughs> just right in there. I don't know. I guess my mind has wandered on and off to thoughts of where is Alona you know, over the oh, that's years. That's so interesting because she would be glad to hear from you. I I had your email at one point, but maybe I 
I can get it from you. I can give you mine if yeah, you want. No, no. Uh, you were copied on the one uh, that I sent. You were seeing. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's one. right. I do have it. Okay, great. Okay. Yep. Well, I'll send, I'll send you that, James. Here's your contact stuff. Yeah, it right. would be great to it would be great to get back in touch. At any rate, um, thank you for having me on the show, Fred James. D. Thank, thank you. We will definitely stay in touch and uh, hope this midnight ride never happens. Right? <laughs> yeah, I do hope Edwin's wrong about this. Yeah, um, I really do. Yeah, we 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 need we need a little more more time. I, I don't know, just more awareness, more education, more more knowledge, and. Uh, well, you know, Fred, too, the idea of, I know I've heard a lot about 2015, and they're going to pull a lot of stuff. It's going to be a rough time. But what we have to keep remembering through that is when I said I wasn't going to do the martial law timeline, I just meant that we need to keep concentrating on what we, you know, like in the movie Thrive, what we really want to see going forward and, and try to remember that we're spiritual beings here. And this martial law thing is a very third-dimensional physical activity, just last-ditch efforts for control over humanity. But we can really set a precedent with our thinking about it even if it occurs we can look at it as something that will pass and that we know the the myth of it you know that the power behind it is really just an illusion and right. I don't know and Edward yeah. thinks that if enough people are aware of the martial law and its illegality that they will resist it and if the power right. could be know that there will be massive resistance they may try to uh, solve their problems in some other way because yeah, the main thing that they'll want, if the, if the system crashes, they're going to want to stay in power. Well, you know, they're not so going to be able to unless, yeah. Yeah. But it's really just a matter of really people have to have an opportunity to survive, I mean, to make a choice in the way that they want to see their world run. And if it's not right in their face, they're not going to see it. Some people will never see any of it. They won't even be aware it's going on. But for those right. of us that are more aware, we know the effects of something like that on humanity, on the social structures. So we really need to just always keep our vision a step above, uh, you know, what they're trying to pull off. It's all filled with fear and manipulation control, all those things that we know that they're right. doing. And we don't need to put our energy into supporting that so much as just realize that our influence is really a lot greater by holding the flame, you know, or just keeping the truth. and. Right. Doing all the things yeah, but they're that trying you're to doing. shut down the internet again. You know, they've got CISPA back, like Poltergeist three. And uh, if they, we don't keep that the internet free and the government out of it, they, you know, they could really, they could really damage a lot of the freedom movement. Yeah, I don't think you can really slow it down ultimately, but. Um yeah, it's it's going to be a really interesting year. I've heard a lot of stuff about some of the stuff coming, and, you know, who knows what it's going to be. But, like I said, we just have to know that we're creator gods and that what we want to see, you know, we can't motivate by fear because we none of us motivate by greed. So if we just keep, you know, who we are, a real good picture of that and not fall under the wheels of the bus as it comes crashing toward us, <laughs> Are we still on the know. air? Yeah, yeah, it's still going. Oh, yeah. oh, okay, I wasn't sure, but um, did, did you see the thing that History Channel ran the other day about reincarnation? No, no. Did you, Dee? No, I, I didn't see that, but I grew up with reincarnation. My mother was very much of a uh, kind of well, what you call they ran, it. They ran, a, a, they ran a show recently, and it might be up on their archive by now, but they basically had some real mainstream scientists 
that are getting serious about the subject, and they're saying that there's a lot of evidence that shows that somehow when a when the being when the person dies, their the packet of information that is their identity is like a quantum uh, uncoupling. It only uncouples from the physical matter when the body's dropped. You know, I was oh, in Scientology yeah. for many, many years, and of course, uh-huh. when I was in there, I was studying auditing, and I audited a lot of cases on past lives. Yeah. And I've never, I've kind of been going back and forth with the subject because I've never actually exteriorized myself. But the show show told a lot of people how they out of body exteriorization with perceptics, and the bottom line is the scientific community is starting to take a serious interest in this subject. Well, they should because, I mean, I grew up with it. It's very real. I know a lot of my lifetimes, I, you know, and we are eternal beings. You can't get it wrong. You'll never get it done. And there's no such thing as a bad choice, really, because it's all about learning and figuring out who, in fact, we really are. And we just go from one lifetime to the next, and sometimes we stop in between, and there's a lot of activity there. There's, we all do different things there. And there's a lot of choices about where to go and what to do. You can move forward, backwards. I've, I've done extensive studies on it. And the thing about the – you said something about all the higher-order intelligence peoples – on all these planets being dead. Well, I know that that's not true, absolutely not true. It's just well, that there's the major, only... the, the current major theory right now is that they that the tendency of intelligence is to miniaturize. So there, there well, are a lot of scientists on, think that they're, they're going... They're, huh? It just depends on how you look at it. You know, if you look at the earthbound third-dimensional science compared to the vast world of metaphysics and spirituality, they don't know anything. They, they're just—they can only—they can only show. They're all over here. They're—they're they're We're being monitored by many, 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 many species, because we're—we're we're really in this pivotal place of evolving to such a high level that, you know, we're—we're we're being held back. And we were in quarantine for a lot of years here. But this planet is meant to be a showcase for the galaxy, you know, to be the beautiful, to show that darkness can be brought into the light. Now, it doesn't mean the darkness isn't going to be somewhere else participating, but the earth that's not the destiny of the earth. The earth is going to thrive and humanity is going to expand. Consciousness is going to evolve. We all have these inherent qualities. Uh, ESP, uh, telekinesis, this is a vast array of of things that really we are that have been shut down and our DNA has been messed with. But there will come a time where uh, people will wake up to the fact that we've never really been alone here and we're certainly not now. Uh, It's very exciting when you think about being an eternal being and being able to travel the galaxy or, you know, do whatever it is that you want to do to evolve as you go forward. There's no end to it. You know, you never get it done. (laughs) And there's no getting it wrong. It's just this weird drama, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The exciting thing is that it's all connected. That's right. Um, yeah. Which means science is connected to metaphysics. Sure, it's all happening in its divine order. You know, even the bad guys are taking on roles that I certainly wouldn't want to take on. But it's all for the greater good, as debauchery. I mean, it's really pretty bad out there. But at the same time, I see changes happening. Um, I'm not starving to death in Africa, but I didn't choose that lifetime. You know, uh, the people that die in these massive 
accidents like 9-11, those people all contracted to go together, and they created this huge momentum of of compassion and truth and forward thinking and the people of stepping up and still pounding to find that truth. And that was a gift, I think, that that people choose when they leave like that in mass to, to help humanity to raise up, you know. I I think that way anyway. I, I could be wrong, but... <laughs> well, you might have Just liked the movie I had in de- development that no one would fi- finance. It was called uh, Globalization Will Theology, Meta- Science, or Metaphysics Dominate the New World Order? Hmm. And, um, yeah, they know about all this stuff. Taking a look at metaphysics versus theology and science. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with metaphysics and theology has always been from the point of view of the scientists, that they're not falsifiable. But what ex- what's exciting about this is it, the only reason science can't falsify various theories of metaphysics and the theologist is because the science isn't deep enough yet. But I think that whatever is and is true is going to be revealable through not only metaphysical methods, but theological methods and scientific methods. So oh, therefore, yeah, I, something, I like, something like out-of-body experiences or past lives is becoming, as, as soon as it's become, anyone can make great claims about this and that. And I was in Scientology for 20, 15 years, so I've heard it all. Oh, we're this, we're that, we're spiritual beings, we're immortal, we're, we're blah, blah, blah. But no, nobody can prove it. But now science is getting to the point where maybe it can prove some of this stuff. So that's what I think is particularly exciting because then that unifies the whole world. Auguste Comte said that's the problem with the world. You've got three different philosoph- two different philosophies running in this planet. You've got the philosophies of the theologist and the philosophies of the scientists, and the two are not compatible easily. Um, scientific method is there must be a is a falsifiable observation if you can't falsify it if you if you make the claim oh there's an infinite god out there but you can't falsify that claim then that's not in the realm of science and you know science has gotten us you know something on the planet so has metaphysics or so has theology but the thoughts of this movie was the idea that i think it's going to settle down into a metaphysical world which is kind of a balance of theology and science Yeah, it's all occurring with whatever we think about it with our little brains. It's it's all going on. We all are connected. It is a matrix. We're all one. It includes everything that you mentioned. And, uh, you know, just the people's yeah, awareness of... quantum it. computers, which there's evidence oh, yeah. to support that our brains are quantum machines. Our bodies are recording devices. <laughs> That's exactly right. right. We're information. Uh, we're light. We're light cells. We're we're made of crystalline substance. <laughs> yeah. Hey James, thank you again. I, I know we're begging off here on you, but uh, okay. I really hey, appreciate Fred, you coming Fred on. late. I've been up since four. No, six. Fred, I know you're on the candle of both ends right now. <laughs> hey everyone, thank you for joining the call. Dean, yes. thank you for moderating, guys. Yep. This is Steve. Let me say yeah. one thing. This is Steve with AU Network in Charlotte. Yeah. If I can, James, I just wanted to make a suggestion, uh, and I'd hope you consider this, but uh, in possibly when you get ready for the closing of your film, 
keep in mind possibly doing a, an interview with Didi and adding a, a ray of light of hope and maybe some closing thoughts and comments from Didi in an interview to go with your film. And so I was just going to suggest that. Great. I will do that. Oh, that's very that. nice, Steve. <laughs> Thank you <Yeah>. for that. <laughs> but, yeah, I wanna, I'm want i going to email you, James, and I want to find out about your Scientology because I was married to a Scientologist for almost <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> oh, my God. What a small world. Well, I'm not in it anymore. No, he isn't either. I mean, he is. I mean, I'm not. I don't talk. I don't talk bad or good. I don't talk good or bad of it. I think everybody needs to go into whatever they want to go into. Or oh not. yeah, I agree with that. It was uh, yeah. I just I was curious about the timelines and where you were, but I'll I have ask my you that reasons later. for not being in it, and they're not really yeah. they're not really based on the technology. They're more de- based on the, the policies of the church. Sure, that's and, exactly uh, you know, right, yeah. Paul Haggis dropped out recently because of various policies. But, you know, all the, a lot of these policies that make Scientology negative to, to some people, they really could be remedied pretty easily if the church would just simply remedy do it, you know? So that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> it is, and I'm going to write to you and just ask you a couple questions about your experiences. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. I, thanks, Fred. Thanks, James. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. Everyone, we'll see you back next week, Thursday, same time. God bless. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye, everyone. Betty, great. You're still on, and thanks, everybody. That was that was fun. <laughs>